Hey, Mel. Bri here. Gotta work from home today because the whole family caught a nasty... Daddy! Hey, Mikey! If you're gonna puke, find the popcorn bowl! But my availability is 110%. Coincidentally, so is my fever. <laughs> Kidding. Mel, I'm so cold but hot. Uh, but I'm gonna get you that budget. Just as soon as... Right. Mikey! Popcorn bowl! Press 1 to use Instacart and get your family's sick day essentials delivered in as fast as 30 minutes. Press 2 to keep working. Do not press 2. Just use Instacart. Brian. Welcome to the Attention Deficit Disorder Expert Podcast Series by Attitude Magazine. I'm Carol Fleck, and on behalf of the Attitude team, I'm pleased to welcome you to today's ADHD Experts presentation titled Cognitive Disengagement Syndrome, A Distinct Kind of Inattention. Leading today's presentation is Dr. Joseph Frederick. Dr. Frederick is a clinical psychologist at the Center for ADHD at Cincinnati Children's Hospital Medical Center. He is also the lead psychologist in the first cognitive disengagement syndrome clinical service at the medical center. Cognitive disengagement syndrome affects up to 40% of children with ADHD. Some of the symptoms include trouble get, getting going, taking longer than others to complete activities or tasks, and excessive daydreaming. Cognitive disengagement syndrome is a new name for what was formerly called sluggish cognitive tempo. Because some of the symptoms overlap with ADHD, it can be difficult for clinicians to discern one condition from the other. Today, we'll talk about symptoms and treatment options and how cognitive disengagement syndrome is similar and different from ADHD. We'd like to begin today's webinar by asking this poll question to our live audience. In what area does your child with ADHD and or cognitive disengagement syndrome need the most help with morning routine, academics, sleep, homework, excessive daydreaming? Please select your answers and comment in the text box under the video player to tell us more. For answers to common webinar questions about slides, transcripts, and certificates of attendance, click on the FAQ tab of your webinar screen. If you're listening in replay or podcast mode, visit attitudemag.com and search podcast 482 to access the webinar resources or simply click on the episode description wherever you stream your podcasts. If you support the work we're doing here at Attitude to strengthen the ADHD community, we encourage you to visit attitudemag.com slash subscribe and sign up for Attitude Magazine. Subscribe today for yourself or to share with a teacher or a loved one who could benefit from greater ADHD understanding. Click the magazine tab on screen to learn more. Finally, the sponsor of this webinar is Play Attention. Research conducted at Tufts University School of Medicine demonstrates that Play Attention improves attention, behavior, executive function, and overall performance. Harnessing cutting-edge NASA-inspired technology, Play Attention offers a customized program for improving executive function and self-regulation. Through our digital trainer, you can control personalized cognitive exercises just using your mind. Additionally, your program comes complete with a dedicated personal executive function coach who will tailor your plan as you progress. Both home and professional programs are available. Contact Play Attention at 828-676-2240 or click the link on screen to schedule your free one-on-one -on -one consultation. Visit www.playattention.com to learn more. Attitude thanks our sponsors for supporting our webinars. Sponsorship has no influence on speaker selection or webinar content. So without further ado, I'm so pleased to welcome Dr. Joseph Frederick. Thank you so much for joining us today and for leading this discussion. Yeah, thank you so much for the warm introduction and for Carol and Attitude for having me today and for all the listeners who joined and taking time out of your day to learn a little bit more about what is cognitive disengagement syndrome? What have we learned? And most importantly, uh, what can we do and some next steps? And, and I hope to go through that with you all today. What I'd like to do before we get started is if you are not already, I'd like you to imagine that you are a teacher in a classroom where you have 20 or so kids. And what I want to think about are first the symptoms of ADHD. We know that they fall into the two categories of 
excessive hyperactivity and poor impulse control, and the symptoms of inattention. In a classroom setting, when there's a child who has the hyperactive impulsive symptoms, trouble sitting still, being fidgety or restless, verbally impulsive or physically impulsive, these behaviors are very clear. They're noticeable in the classroom. When we consider a child who has the inattentive symptoms of ADHD, so difficulties sustaining mental effort on tasks that may be boring or mundane, being externally distracted, um, trouble attending to details, as the child gets older and schoolwork becomes more um, common in the classroom, also these behaviors and symptoms are clear and they're noticeable. We've learned over the past two decades that there are a subset of kids who in the classroom are likely in their seat. They appear to be listening. They're not overly impulsive, but internally they're distracted. Their mind is wandering. They're lost in their thoughts. They're staring off into space. They have a harder time expressing their thoughts. Rather than being hyperactive, these children present with more sleepiness or tiredness having a hard time completing day-to-day -day activities quickly. These are the set of symptoms and behaviors that were first coined sluggish cognitive tempo and has recently been changed to cognitive disengagement syndrome. And this is gonna be the bulk of today is talking through what exactly CDS is and what are some recommendations for you all. Our first um, understanding or possible identification of kids who had CDS actually was back in the 1790s when the first medical textbook discussed two different types of attention deficit. One, which we believe describes the inattentive ADHD. So individuals who were described as being very distractible, attention shifting, hard time sustaining attention, where another form of an attention deficit was for individuals described as being under aroused or having low levels of mental energy or stamina. Wasn't a lot of conversation or text about the second type of attention deficit at this time, but we believe this is the first reference. And it wasn't until the 1960s, 1970s, where specific symptoms of SCT at that time, such as daydreaming, drowsiness, lethargy, were included in rating scales. So different rating scales that were completed to assess for different behavioral conditions, emotional problems, and then the 1980s, when the DSM-3, and the DSM, that's our mental health um, manual that has all the different types of diagnoses like ADHD, and the DSM-3 allowed the diagnosis of ADD with and without hyperactivity. And at that time, individuals who had ADD without the hyperactivity had higher levels of what was called sluggish cognitive tempo, the daydreaminess, the drowsiness, the lethargy. The research from the 1980s to the 2000s really stalled until a very prominent study of a large clinic sample of children with ADHD found that there was a separate set of symptoms in children who presented with the sluggish cognitive tempo. And in the past two decades, we've witnessed an explosion of research on understanding the nature, the consequences, the outcomes of SCT. And last year, myself and some other researchers and clinicians got together for a working group to first discuss kind of an update of where the research was so we can discuss some next steps for future directions, but importantly, start to talk about a change in terminology. So as I said, back in the 1980s, these set of symptoms were coined by a researcher as the sluggish cognitive tempo. And through our own research, clinical work, and real-life conversations with families, many of them describe this term as quite offensive or pejorative. It's calling their child to have a sluggish cognitive, kind of implying a intellectual or a cognitive deficit, which none of the research has suggested thus far. And so through a lot of very lively conversations and going a lot of back and forth on what is a terminology that is going to capture the core nature of these symptoms, but also um, as less offensive and as more um, of a description. And the team landed on the cognitive disengagement to capture the internal distractions, the disengagement of the daydreamy, the mind wandering. So that's going to be the term that I use throughout my presentation. So what are we talking about here? What is CDS? 
So we think about um, CDS, think about three different types of um, features or domains falling into these categories. The daydreaminess, so individuals who are lost in their thoughts, spacing or zoning out, appearing to be lost in a fog, staring blankly into space, um, symptoms that reflect mental confusion, so losing one's train of thought or absent-mindedness, having a hard time putting their thoughts into words or expressing their thoughts, getting easily confused, needing a lot longer to think about or respond to questions or activities. Then, as I said, opposite of the hyperactivity, the hypoactivity, which are these symptoms of being easily tired or fatigued, having low levels of energy, more sleepiness or slow-moving behaviors. So there's 15 symptoms, behaviors that we have found over the years in the research to best capture this construct. And in terms of different assessment tools and how we measure these symptoms, on the screen here, you'll see a couple well-validated measures that have been used to capture these 15 symptoms of CDS. Um, my colleague, Dr. Stephen Becker and his team um, developed the Child and Adolescent Behavior Inventory or the CABI. This includes 15 items that parents and teachers can measure on the frequency of these symptoms for kids. What's nice about this measure is we have norms, and so we can compare a child's score in comparison to same-aged peers. We also have a self-report measure called the Child Concentration Inventory. As you would imagine, for an older child, an adolescent, a lot of these symptoms are internal, daydreaming, being internally distracted, mind-wandering. So we also wanted to develop a self-report measure so individuals can report on how often they feel like they're engaging in these symptoms. Russell Barkley has a scale called the Barkley SET scale. And we also have a measure in adults. It's called the Adult Concentration Inventory. That measure at this time, we do not have norms. And in the adult population, this is an area that we're hoping to gain a little bit more research on. But here are some of the measures that are widely available. They're free, they're accessible that um, you are able to use. So, so far, I've talked a little bit about what is CDS, the history of CDS. But here are some really key objectives for today. Are we just talking about something else? Is this just inattentive ADHD? Is this just depression? Is this a form of an anxiety disorder? Is this a learning disability? Is this sleepiness? These are some common questions and things that have been very important to us to better understand what is the nature of CDS? What is the overlap with other mental health conditions? And then second, why do we care? Why are we having a webinar? Why are we talking about CDS? And then finally, which is very important to me, what can we do? What are some recommendations? What are some next steps for children, adolescents who may present with and have CDS? So for that first objective, what you'll see on the screen here are the most common conditions that often co-occur with CDS. So if a child who has symptoms and behaviors of CDS, the different types of conditions such as ADHD, depression, anxiety, autism, language or learning difficulties or delays that we have found in the research to be the most common overlap. At the same time, the research fairly consistently over the past two decades have found that CDS is not the same as these conditions. So we're not um, capturing a same construct. It's not redundant. They overlap, they're related, but they're also separate as we'll talk about and dive in here. So as we talked about earlier, for about a quarter to a half of kids who have ADHD, primarily the inattentive presentation, will also have elevations in CDS. At the same time, when we measure the symptoms of inattention, the symptoms of CDS, the research would say that these are separate. They load onto different factors. So they're not the same. They're not completely redundant. When we ask families uh, if their child has been diagnosed or not with depression, about seven to nine percent will say if their child has CDS also will have the rates of depression when we ask a parent yes or no. But when we look at a symptom level, it's a lot more overlap. So about a 30 to 50% of kids will have elevated symptoms for both CDS and depression. And I think we could say that makes sense. When we talked about some of the symptoms of the daydreaminess, the low levels of energy, 
the sleepiness, those are also symptoms of depression. This is one of the challenges that we have in the ADHD field, but also in mental health in general, is the high levels of comorbidity and overlap with other conditions. Um, and so this is something that we're also um, very aware of as we're doing our work. Also with anxiety, about 10 to 20% of kids will also have um, symptoms of anxiety. There's been more recently a few studies, less so compared to these other areas, but individuals who are on the autism spectrum having elevations in CVS. And then finally, um, presenting with either reading disabilities or language delays, which when we also think about some of the symptoms of CDS, the mental confusion, the trouble expressing thoughts, having a hard time putting thoughts into words, thinking about some of the overlap with language and learning. Most importantly, the research has also found that about a quarter to a half of kids will primarily have the symptoms of CDS without ADHD, depression, or these other mental health conditions. So yes, there's overlap, but there's also this separation and there's this distinction. So let's take and let's kind of look through how might there be similarities and differences between a symptom and an impairment and how an attentive ADHD or CDS may be related to those symptoms. So if I have a child who comes in and a parent complains that my child has a hard time paying attention, we first know there's many reasons a kid may have a hard time paying attention. So it really speaks to conducting a thorough evaluation. Now, for a child who has an attentive ADHD, the troubles paying attention may be due to those underlying challenges in sustained attention, sustained mental effort, especially on tasks that are boring, mundane. They take a long time. We know children with an attentive ADHD struggle sustaining their attention. Or it may be due to high levels of external distractibility, noises, sounds, other stimuli going on in their environment. For a child with CDS primarily, what's going to drive the troubles paying attention are the excessive internal distractibility, the lost in one's thoughts, the daydreaminess, the mind is wandering, the fogginess, the spacing out. Now, if a child has both, there may be more than one reason that a child then is having difficulties paying attention. Now let's take a common complaint such as a child having a hard time starting and finishing tasks. A child with an attentive ADHD, this may be due to trouble initiating, starting a behavior, and then maintaining that attention. It may be due to the challenges with working memory deficits, being able to hold multi-step directions, keep what they have to do in their mind, and then complete the task. Now for a child with CDS, it may be difficult for them to start and finish the task, due to the pace of which their movement and their activity. It may take them a little bit longer to get started. It may take them a little bit longer to complete. And then along the way, those internal distractions. Additionally, we take energy levels and motivation. We know kids who have inattentive ADHD that for certain things that are boring, that are mundane, maybe a hard time initiating it, having the motivation to want to do those type of tasks and activities. For kids with CDS, it starts to be this general state of underactivity, tiredness, and energy levels that is not as much um, task-specific like we see in an attentive ADHD. Very importantly, and this is a lot of the research has found, when we think about comorbidities, we know kids who have ADHD, the rule rather than the exception is those co-occurring conditions, different internalizing conditions like anxiety, depression, also externalizing, so more oppositional behaviors, emotion dysregulation, difficulties managing tantrums. And then some kids also have some of the hyperactive impulsive symptoms. Quite conversely, for kids with CDS, they're more likely to have those internalizing comorbidities, the anxiety, the shyness, the depression, the social withdrawal, as we'll talk about here in more detail. And then very different than the inattentive ADHD, little to no symptoms of the hyperactive impulsive. So really the focal point of this slide is thinking about how the same symptom and impairment, there may be similarities with CDS and inattentive ADHD, but also could be some differences. Why do kids have CDS? Where does this come from? Now we know with ADHD, there's a high heritability. We know there's a very strong genetic basis. 
This is an area of research that I'm hoping over the next several years we'll see a lot more studies come out, but it is a very tiny body of research. Um, There have been three twin samples where we can examine the genetic differences in CDS, about modest to moderate heritability. So there does seem to be a genetic um, impact on CDS. We're not quite sure of the specific genes. I mean, that is very complicated and it's likely a combination of different genetics, but it's less heritable compared to ADHD. So that speaks to the role of environment, prenatal factors, childhood factors, or life stressors. We do have a couple studies that say children who had prenatal alcohol exposure, traumatic brain injuries, um, cancer, or spina bifida, so medical prenatal factors have higher rates of CDS. And then there's also been some differences in demographics that individuals who with a lower socioeconomic status, more conflict in the family, or more conflict interpersonally with peers or others also start to have high levels of CDS. So we start to think about, might these symptoms of the internal distractions, the disengagement for some individuals be some form of a coping response, a coping mechanism due to ongoing stressors in their environment? This is definitely an area that I'm hoping in the next few years, as I said, we'll have more research. But this is where we are now in terms of the etiology of CDS. Majority of these findings, as I said, we also want to replicate so we can have more confidence in our findings. So how does CDS impact kids' day-to-day functioning? When we think about the two different types of cognitive areas, processing speed, so kind of the speed and the rate and the pace, able to complete activities and do things, and mind-wandering, which we know mind-wandering is a very common phenomenon. Some of you may now, your mind might be wondering about what you have to do after this call or what you have to do during the day. Um, My mind might be wandering on things that I'm going to do over the weekend. This is a very common phenomenon that many of us have. And these have been the two areas that most of the research has focused related to the cognitive areas. Now, some of the studies have shown that CDS and processing speed are not the same, but they may be related, especially in younger kids. And when we think about the different types of processing speed, for any of of you that are familiar with the WISC, when we give a battery to kids to measure their processing speed, there's two different types of subtests, coding and symbol search. Coding asks the child to write down and copy a symbol that they see and they have to see how quickly they can do it. Symbol search, they visually are looking at a couple different symbols, and they have to circle whether they see the same symbol or there's not the symbol there. So coding has more of the motor demands, more of the writing, the graphomotor. Symbol search is more visual. Some of the research would suggest that CDS may impact more of the motor demands, such as the coding subtest. And so in terms of how quickly a child can maybe copy down notes when they're in class, writing down their answers. They may take them a little bit longer. Where children with ADHD may have a harder time attending to those details. They may be made more of the careless mistakes when it comes to simple search or coding. Now, when we think about mind wandering, we have a few studies that have shown that compared to the symptoms of inattention, ADHD, anxiety, and depression, CDS is more strongly associated with mind wandering. So it has started to suggest that maybe at the core of CDS is an over-engagement to mental content, to mental representations in terms of mind-wandering, just things in the past, the present, the future, daydreaming when the content of those internal thoughts is more specific. Then we start to think about, may this be the reason that kids with CDS start to have higher levels of depression and anxiety You spend so much time internally, you kind of give room and opportunity to worry, to ruminate. Maybe that might be the link. And this was one of the reasons that the name was changed to the cognitive disengagement to really reflect those findings. Then what about academics? We know that for kids with ADHD, academic performance, academic functioning is an area that we often target in intervention. We also know that CDS impacts academics. Some studies that have shown CDS is associated with lower grades, poor organization. Organization seems to be an area that children with CDS struggle with. And then some studies have been a little bit inconsistent with lower academic achievement. One area that's very important is related to behaviors that enable you to perform well academically. Asking questions in class, taking notes, studying, 
working in groups. Those types of behaviors kids with CDS may struggle with the most. And that may be due to some of that disengagement. Now we know that for children with ADHD, they often experience difficulties in the peer domain. It can be trouble making friends, keeping friends. If you think about the reason why for a child with ADHD, it may be due to the impulsive behaviors, the emotion dysregulation, trouble attending to social cues. We have found that not only are children with CDS cognitively disengaged, those internal distractions, they're more likely to be socially disengaged as well. And this is one of the most troubling findings in the area that I'm very interested and motivated by is how can we improve the social engagement of children and adolescents with CDS? The research has found that kids who have CDS are more likely to have conflicted shyness. They want to interact. They have that high level of anxiety, that high level of being uncomfortable. They're more likely to be withdrawn and isolated from the peer group. This is also happening when we conduct real-time recess observations. And our group here at Cincinnati Children's conducted one of these studies where we observed children with CDS with and without in the recess during the, on the playground. And we found that kids who are elevated in CDS spent more time alone by themselves compared to other kids. Start to think about how troubling that can be for a child long-term and developmental. Have a harder time uh, attending to subtle social cues if we think about the pace of conversations, especially as kids get older, there's a lot of humor. It's fast paced. The topics switch. It might be harder for a child with CDS to keep up and then risk for peer victimization as they get older. This is a very, very important area that we often talk about in our intervention work. So what about sleep? I have a lot of people ask me, Dr. Frederick, those symptoms and behaviors of CDS, are these kids just having a really hard time falling asleep? Um, could they just be sleep deprived? So we know that, first off, when we do the research to say, are these symptoms and behaviors the same as sleepiness and sleep loss, similar to depression and anxiety? They overlap, but they're separate. These are not the same. We do have some studies to suggest that in kids and adults, high levels of CDS may be associated with more evening preference, what we call kind of night owls, wanting to stay up later, which leads to maybe later sleep onset, going to bed later, not getting enough sleep. So maybe there's a mismatch between their clock when they want to sleep, especially in adolescence, when they want to get up in the morning, early school start times. So that might lead to some of the sluggishness, the sleepiness that we see in the morning and throughout the day. There's been two studies that have uh, looked at polysomnography indices of sleep. So when we start to look at like sleep apnea, uh, restless leg, limb movements. There's been no clear um, associations thus far. And finally, there was a study found that when you experimentally restrict sleep, uh, which would be a really hard study to do, I want to thank the teenagers that participated in this study, but when we have teenagers who were said, let's extend your sleep, let's get you a little couple more hours, let's restrict your sleep, those who were in the restrict sleep phase had a higher level of CDS. Start to think that makes a lot of sense. If you restrict sleep, one of the first thing that goes is your attention and then that energy. And so that clearly seems to be a possible etiological factor, but also CDS may impact sleep as well. So thus far, we've talked about what is CDS? How's it related with other conditions? How does this impact day-to-day? -day? And a lot of the research that I summarized was from what we call quantitative studies, where we have families, children, complete rating scales, they complete different tests. It was important for our group to interview these families, to talk to these families and see, are they talking about CDS? What language did they use to discuss this? How do they feel like it impacts their day-to-day? -day? So we conducted this study here at our group here, and we had about 15 to 20 families. And the focus of this was to interview the parents and children to learn a little bit more about the real world lived experiences of CDS. So here's some of the quotes Obviously, the names here um, have been changed to protect everyone's identity. Um, but we think about the quotes. You can start to see some of the descriptions and the terms. And I see a lot of these in emails that I get from families and also in my clinical work and our service here. So we had one parent say, he calls it zoned out. We will be talking to him. He starts staring out into space and says, oh, I zoned out. What did you just say? It's just that Charlotte's slow. That's Charlotte. We're used to it. So some families 
saying that some of these behaviors were part and parcel to who the child was. These are just kind of some of their characteristics that they're noticing. And then we had a parent say, I asked him once what he was doing when he was in the backseat quiet for 40 minutes. And he says, I'm watching TV in my mind. So you see some of those excessive internal distractions um, and then the language that parents are using. And what about kids? When we asked kids, what are these behaviors like? Um, what do they feel like? How do you talk about them? I had one child that said, my mom calls it aniline. It is this place where my imagination rests. It's like a little oasis. There's a bunch of rainbows and all my ideas for books and stories and role plays are there. You can start to see that the daydreaminess also leads to some of these um, positive attributes and these strengths, some creativity, some different characters, ideas. Some days going to Annaland would probably be very enjoyable. and It would be relaxing. Um, and then we had a child say this is, was very interesting. I love going into that world. I just want to be able to pull myself out of it. So the control, how do we help kids engage cognitively once they're internally distracted? And then a child said, I really hate it when I get lost in my thoughts because I overthink a situation. If you spend so much time in your head getting lost in your thoughts, the mind wandering, might that lead to difficulty solving problems, stress, feeling overwhelmed? And what about strengths? What about those positive attributes that I just briefly touched on? We had a child say that the spacing out is kind of my thing and my favorite part because I just, you know, it gives me a small break and I get to get back to my work. So being able to give children a sense of a break, a mental break. I feel like when she goes off and she's daydreaming, she's thinking about what she's going to work on. Her imagination goes crazy. So creativity, imagination seems to be a positive attribute. And be able to think outside the box, coming up with other ideas or solutions to these different problems. And then finally, we asked the parents specifically, how do these behaviors of CDS impact your child's day-to-day? -day? Are there certain times of the day, certain activities where these behaviors negatively impact? And some of the common areas that parents rated were the morning routine. Many, many, many parents, and I hear this fairly often, trouble getting out of bed in the morning, taking a long time to get through the morning routine, having higher levels of the sleepiness, academics, either keeping track, organization during school, after school, sleep, trouble falling asleep, daytime sleepiness, and then also homework specifically. And we asked parents, what have you tried? What have you done? And a lot of them said they've tried different strategies, helping with sleep, um, having good sleep hygiene, verbal reminders, trying to have day-to-day -day routines, similar that we would suggest for a child who had ADHD. But many of these families said they were unsure what to do. And one parent said specifically, we really do not know what exactly to do except bring him back to earth. So from this interview, it really spoke to us that these families are, they're noticing these symptoms and behaviors. These are impacting, but that how do we help what are the recommendations and interventions? That was the area where I feel like we needed to um, really help bridge the gap between the research and the clinical work. So what about interventions? Let's talk a little bit about what do we know that helps intervene and address CDS. We know for ADHD, we often recommend this multimodal approach, environmental behavioral management at home, educational accommodations or interventions at school, like a daily report card, classroom accommodations, Medications, stimulant, non-stimulant medications. At this time, there are no specific evidence-based interventions and treatments for CDS. Where we are now is how can we take this framework for ADHD and within those areas of environmental, school accommodations and medications, are there different bits and pieces that we can use to address CDS or are there areas that we need to modify? So specifically, when we think about parent management training, or behavioral parent training. We're working with caregivers and parents, and many of you maybe have gone through this in terms of groups or your own reading, that attitude sends out. How do we use our preferential attention, positive reinforcement, giving clear commands, but also how do we use like negative consequences, like timeout, ignoring? Those type of responses may not be as effective for kids with CDS, given that they're not likely to have those behavioral problems. They're not likely to be disruptive. So what are some of the changes that we so there is some promise. We have three studies to date that have shown some um, effectiveness for the interventions for inattentive ADHD may help reduce CDS. So 
first, there was a study that did a combination of parent training, working with parents on some of those parent management training skills, teacher consultations, so different interventions, accommodations, and then child skills was helpful at reducing CDS. There was another study that found that a school-based homework and organization intervention, so helping kids with organization systems at school, keeping track of their homework, keeping track of what they have to do, reduce the symptoms of CDS. Then finally, in a study of only about 14 adolescents, but it was a study that looked at a sleep intervention for kids with ADHD, found very strong effects based on self-report, parent report, and teacher report to decrease the symptoms of CDS. So this starts to say that some of those interventions of parent management training, teacher consultation, homework, organization, and sleep may be really important areas at decreasing CDS symptoms. Now, what about for medication? We know that stimulant medication is often the first line recommendation for inattentive ADHD. We do not have any specific studies that have found medications, enough of the research to say that these are our guidelines. So nothing to say that this is what we would recommend. The research would say that for some children, having high levels of CDS may actually reduce the effectiveness of stimulants. So if any families, what I often talk about is um, a first initial recommendation is trying the stimulant medication if your child also has an attentive ADHD, but if it seems to not be working to not give up hope. It is a very small body of research to suggest that non-stimulants, such as atomoxetine or Sertera, may decrease symptoms of CDS. And obviously, you know, one thing to think about is that full comprehensive evaluation is that if your child is also struggling with depression, anxiety, sleep problems, we want to intervene both, both on the treatment side and the medication side. So there is some interest right now in the field for different medications like antidepressant medications, anti-anxiety, or medications that help with daytime sleepiness, maybe those would be some would show some promise for decreasing CDS. So I'm at the time of my talk now where um, what I want to do is share with all of you as parents, teachers, professionals, individuals that may be impacted or know someone with CDS, to share with you some of my own learnings and my own observations. So as um, Carol mentioned earlier, we have started a clinical service here in our Center for ADHD for CDS. You can find more information about this on our website. Um, and we've worked with families. We've been doing evaluations. We've been doing therapies, interventions, with the goal ultimately is to start to come up with some specific interventions that we can provide. And I want to share with you just some of my own observations, strategies, learnings that may be helpful for you at this time. We think about overall, we think about environmental recommendations just at home. And many of these I would recommend to a family of a child who has ADHD is having that consistent daily routines in terms of the time of sleep, the time of homework, the time of active um, activities. How can we simplify the day? Children with CDS often may get overwhelmed easily. They may have a harder time keeping up and keeping pace. So how can we simplify their day to day? How can we have clear, consistent daily routines? Having visuals where they can know their schedule may help them feel less stressed or overwhelmed. And then time, having enough time to complete routines and activities. We know based on what we talked about for kids with CDS, it may take them a little bit more time, not because they're externally distracted, not because of the rushing through, just the pace at which they do things. They just be a little slower. And all of us differ in the pace at which we go through life and we go through these routines. So having enough time, having enough time in the morning, having clear time limits for our homework um, so they feel like they have that time to be able to complete these activities. Directly practicing organization skills. So this may be related to at home or at school, having a binder, having a planner, keeping track of homework, having a to-do list, directly practicing those organization skills. And then finally, given how CDS is so strongly associated with sleeping difficulties and that social disengagement, ensuring good sleep hygiene practices, having opportunities and encouraging physical activity and exercise, and having opportunities for positive social experiences, and knowing that a child's preference socially may be for more one-on-one. -on -one. They may prefer smaller group settings. 
maybe a few friends at a time so they can go at their pace. So these are just some general recommendations. Now, specifically, when we think about due to the weaknesses and the challenges of CDS, think about the language that we use. Being mindful of how quickly our tone and how complex is our language. This is very true for kids with ADHD, but also for a child with CDS. Your tone, pace, and the complexity is going to be very important. A neutral tone, matter of fact, and a slower pace. So using concise words, using fewer words that are very clear and they're one step. If a child with CDS is told to do multiple things at once, we're talking very quickly that has a lot of different, it has a lot of different messages in there or things to do. They then have to take in that information, organize that, and then respond. And due to the difficulties with the pace and the internal distractions, this may be difficult. So just bring that awareness to what is the language and can I either slow down the pace? Can I be more clear and direct and have those one step simple directions for children? And then we think about very similar within attentive ADHD, but also important for CDS is when it comes to tasks like cleanup or getting ready or score, breaking it down into very clear steps, maybe having opportunities to have some breaks, either attention breaks or physical breaks, if they're starting to kind of have a lower level of energy or their stamina starting to decrease, to helping them with their attention. And then problem solving. As I said, kids who have CDS oftentimes get overwhelmed easily. So can we really directly work on identifying the problem, brainstorming some solutions, and going through and picking the best solution and teaching them that directly? This can be come up when there's topics that aren't school-related, things at home that you're struggling with. Can we have some opportunity to practice problem solving? And then finally, how do we bring attention and awareness to a child's internal distractions? Um, this is one of the challenges is how can we help kids become more cognitively and socially engaged in their environment? So here are a few ideas. Having attention checks. This could be throughout the day, during conversation, during homework, during studying, checking in and asking, where is my attention right now? This could be something that as a parent or as a teacher, or as an intervention specialist that you're initiating, but also helping the child bring that awareness for themselves of after every certain amount of time or an interval, just checking in, where is my attention? Am I off? Am I thinking about something else? I need to bring my attention back and having more of those to build that awareness. Helping kids with some more verbal self-talk. So when they're told to do things of like, you know, multi-step direction, out loud repeating back to themselves what they have to do or repeating the key pieces so they can remember. And so they're also not mentally getting mixed up, getting confused. And then for children of uh, supporting them in using certain responses, if they feel like they need a little bit more time to think. So saying like, just give me a minute. Let me think about that. Or um, give me a few seconds here so I can think about that right now. Or hold on, I'm going to respond here in a minute. They can verbally say that so the other person knows they're taking the time to think. They may not respond as quickly um, as our expectations are. And then what about for more of the behavioral side for CDS? Awareness of time. This is extremely important. As I said, having enough time, having extended time, having ample time is very important for kids with CDS? How can we have clear time limits on daily routines and homework? How can we make time real? So having a limit when it comes to homework, maybe working with the teacher to see how long should it take my child to work on homework? And can we set a limit and then grade the amount of work that's completed within that time? Because if you're a child who has CDS, it may take you a lot longer to complete your work. So then you may get penalized, you may have points taken off. So we're trying to work as focus on the quality rather than the quantity. And how can we help children directly estimate how long things will take? This is something that I do with kids in my clinic where when we think about an after-school schedule, we write down what are the key pieces of your afternoon schedule? How long do you think it's going to take? What's your estimation? Five minutes, 15 minutes, 20 minutes. And then let's do an experiment. Let's see how long it took you. And can you see, were you close? Or do you need to put in more time? And then another idea is, can we work on the child gradually doing things a little quicker? So if every task is five minutes, 
Can we move it to four to three minutes? Can we start to slowly increase their awareness and the pace at which they do things? That is an idea, a strategy. We think about uh, behavioral activation. This is a core component for children with depression, but identifying pleasurable, meaningful activities that children with CDS can engage in. We want to promote their engagement, promote their behavioral engagement. And then in the morning, there is a specific technique from a sleep intervention developed by Allison Harvey and her colleagues that is called the rise up routine. So in the morning, we know this is often a challenge for kids with CDS, but having a routine in the morning where we try, we aim to refrain from snoozing, increase physical activity, we increase sunlight or getting, you know, showering, cold water, extra physical activity in the morning, having upbeat music, exciting music, or phoning or texting a friend. Any of those activities with the goal is we want to get kids out of bed quicker. The longer a child stays in bed, sleep in, it builds up that sleepiness. They get more sleepy. So working with kids on identifying a morning routine to get them up, increase light, increase exercise and physical activity as much as possible. And then finally, during the day, having those opportunities to engage in physical activities where they are able to avoid that urge to want to kind of lay in their bed or lay down, as we know that leads to more of that sleepiness. An intervention, a specific intervention that has been very popular lately that might show a lot of promise for CDS is mindfulness. So we know mindfulness works on with individuals of building their non-judgmental awareness of their mind wandering in ways to shift their mind back to the present moment. Might this be helpful for kids, adolescents, and adults with CDS? I think it might make sense when we think about some of the mechanisms we've talked about of those internal distractions, of can we bring the awareness of internal distractions, of when their mind wanders, the time their mind wanders, and what are some ways we can help them anchor their attention back to the present? Is that through their breath? So paying attention to when they're inhaling and exhaling? Is it paying attention to certain physical sensations? Is it grounding strategies? So paying attention to things that they see, they feel, they hear, they smell on a specific task. But building that awareness and being able to refocus on the present moment. And then for some kids, if the daydreams are really interfering them during the school day or it's interfering them, one idea that hasn't been tested, but something that we've thought about is having like a daydream journal, having a piece of paper, a notepad where they can write down the things that they think about. So instead of focusing on so much of here, they can write it down and then they can address that at a later point. Now, what about for school? So we know with ADHD, and I'm sure many of you are familiar with this, of uh, the different classroom accommodations, daily report card. Uh, here are some general tips and recommendations related to school. This is definitely an area in our research that I'm hoping we get more um, research coming out soon about what are the type of accommodations or interventions that may be helpful. But here are some initial ideas. I think first is the education. For teachers, professionals, counselors, their awareness that when a child is having a hard time paying attention, that it may not be just right away um, due to the difficulties with, I'm sorry, it looks like our slides advanced there, um, with the school, rec with the um, being inattentive or rushing through. So just awareness of what is CDS? What does this look like in the classroom? Extended time, this would definitely be a um, promising accommodation given that needing a little bit more time to complete homework, to complete tests, exams, can we reduce the emphasis on busy work, unnecessary homework demands? Due to the pace at which kids with CDS complete their work, not wanting to penalize them for being late or for not getting enough of the problems done because that is a core piece of CDS. So this would work on some like collaboration with the teachers on having those time limits after school. Are there areas that the child can complete a certain amount of problems about where they're focusing more on the quality rather than the quantity. Similar to like inattentive ADHD, when we think about prompts and attention checks, having more of those frequently during the day, maybe on their desk, having a visual prompt to stay focused, write down my daydreams if I'm distracted, listen to the teacher. We think about a daily report card. That's a very effective intervention for kids with ADHD in the classroom. 
And some of the studies that I've referenced have used something like a daily report card where maybe the daily goals are staying on task, responding quickly, asking questions, saying I need more time, starting a conversation with peers, responding when the teacher says my name. And those are the daily goals that they're getting that positive reinforcement on. And then finally, having scheduled attention breaks throughout the day and then organization skills. So having a way to keep track of homework, writing down deadlines, what they need, working with the teacher on getting them to write down their initials on the assignments, different organization symptoms. We want to simplify the chaos and the clutter to really help them stay on track with things. Here are some next steps in terms of where I hope our research, our clinical work is going in the next five to 10 years. At this time, CDS is not recognized as a mental health disorder, according to the DSM or the ICD, which are the two common um, manuals for diagnosing mental health disorders. And there's some reasons why, based on what we've talked about. We know a lot about what this looks like, how it relates to other conditions, but some of the areas we're unclear on is the etiology, where exactly, what are the etiological factors, and then treatment response in terms of medication or interventions. So that's an area we're hoping to to get more research on. And then specific disorders like social anxiety, OCD, PTSD, overlap with dissociation. There seems to be on the surface, those might be related. So something we want to dive into more. And then finally, those specifically designed interventions and medications. So I'll wrap up real quick in terms of overall, why are we doing this? And one of the reasons we wanted to develop our service here at Children's was an email from a mother that reached out to us who said, I have a son who's 16 who lives with the symptoms that 100% match the symptom list for CDS. He's been diagnosed with ADHD by his pediatrician, tried several stimulant medications. I see my son struggling socially, academically, extracurricular activities. I feel like now I'm seeing some signs of depression. Aside from these symptoms, he has every single described symptom of CDS that I have read about. I'm at a loss as what to do or where to take him. So we're hoping that more of this conversation, more of the research, and then our clinical services will start to help move the needle for children, adolescents, or adults who may struggle with CDS. So I really appreciate everyone's time, and I think this will be a good opportunity here to switch over to some Q&A. Excellent. Thank you so much. Um, Before we start the Q&A, I'd like to thank Play Attention once more for sponsoring this webinar. I'd also like to share the final results from today's poll question. In what area does your child with ADHD and or CDS need the most help? 34% said academics, 18% said homework, 16% said morning routine, and 15% said excessive daydreaming. Mm. Um, Now to your questions. Um, Can CDS develop or increase in severity in the teen years? That is an excellent question. So there is some research to suggest that the age of onset for CDS may be later than ADHD and start to increase over the school age and teenage years. And we may think that might be why there's such an overlap with those internalizing conditions that are common during the teenage years, such as depression and anxiety. So it does start to seem like these set of symptoms, later age of onset compared to ADHD, but also over time, steadily increasing. And that might start to give rise to the rates of depression and anxiety. We're not sure why. Is that due to brain changes? Is that due to more social stressors? We know social stressors are related to CDS. So To answer the question, yes, and there's a lot of um, nuances there that hopefully we can shed some more light on. Um, What have you learned about the evolution of CDS over time, and can a child grow out of CDS? Yeah, that's a, um, I'd say one of the areas that we know much little about compared to like the childhood adolescent is adulthood and also like older adults. So we know that the rates of CDS, they are common in young adults, and also adult populations. We know they can be associated with like certain um, sleeping difficulties um, when it comes to work or occupational functioning. We don't know, we don't know as much about like long-term longitudinal studies about how the symptoms are kind of unfolding over time. There does seem to be, as I said, like increasing in the teen years starts to continue throughout adulthood. Um, 
but we're unclear about what are factors that might modify that path. Um, might there be certain types of um, life changes, developmental stages that impact um, the course of CDS? That's a, definitely an area that we're hoping to um, gain some more research on as well. Okay. Um, how would a parent get a diagnosis for CDS for a child's IEP? Mm-hmm. That's a really great question on many fronts. So as I said, one of the challenges with CDS is since it's not in the DSM, it, the diagnosis in terms of how we diagnose it is a little bit different than ADHD. So within ADHD, there is a diagnosis called other specified ADHD. This is for a child who looks like they may have ADHD, but for a certain reason in the criteria, they don't meet the, the diagnosis. So when I am doing our evaluations here for families, I may often use other specified ADHD with the features of CDS or the symptoms of CDS. It also may be for a child who already has ADHD is on the IEP. If they had a, an evaluation and an assessment with anyone that's trained in providing assessments and diagnosis would qualify for assessing these symptoms. So this could be a counselor, a psychologist, um, a psychiatrist. It may take some education. I think there are differences in the awareness of CDS. So it may be bringing this up of like, this is something I'm concerned about. I would say professionals who are aware of ADHD will have more awareness of CDS given the evolution. So that may look like um, filling out some of those rating skills that I um, presented on earlier in the context of the full assessment. And then bringing some of those findings to the IEP meeting to say that my child also has these other set of symptoms. They're called CDS. This is recognized. It's not a diagnosis yet, but here are some key symptoms that may impact my child's performance in the classroom. And then here are some of those maybe different accommodations or different recommendations to add on the IEP. That would be kind of how I would think about walking through that process. Does this aspect of inattention improve over time as a, ch- as a child gains better executive functioning? That, that might be the million-dollar question. Is, um, I, don't, I don't know 100%. I mean, we do know that, you know, I think one of the interesting things about this is we know that um, ADHD, I mean, one of the core deficits of ADHD is executive functioning in terms of the brain imaging studies the troubles in the front part of the brain. CDS is not as much associated with executive function. It actually might be impacted by the part of the brain that's um, what's called our default mode network. That's the part of the brain that's activated when we're at rest, when we're not really focusing on certain things. So that might be where the mind wandering goes. So it may be that as children get older and some of that self-awareness starts to improve in terms of the internal awareness, Maybe that helps bring awareness to when their mind is wandering, their internal distractions. They gain maybe improved language skills, expressive language skills. Um, They might be more aware of strategies to help manage the sleepiness as well. So since executive functioning and ADHD and CDS aren't related, I wouldn't expect necessarily those improved executive functions to translate 100%, but I could also see it helping in terms of the awareness the improved problem-solving skills, language skills, and that may help decrease those symptoms of CDS. We had quite a few questions around autism and CDS. Mm-hmm. Um, so one question is, how does the brain function and neurobiology in CDS, how does that differ from autism? Yeah, that it's an excellent question. Um, I We do not, to my knowledge, have studies that have looked at the differences in the neurobiology or brain imaging for CDS and autism. There's only been a handful of studies of individuals with autism that have elevated symptoms of CDS. And I think we can start to see the overlap, you know, when we've talked about the symptoms on the surface. So, you know, being in your own world, the daydreaming, um, the internal distractions, how there are are some individuals with autism who also have um, those different difficulties. I am not sure, and I don't know since we don't have those studies. I will say that, you know, when we know with autism, we're trying to work on like helping um, with like the social skills or kind of the script of how to interact. You know, many kids with CDS, I have, you know, individuals, it may look like autism because if they're socially disengaged, 
But a lot of these children, like they have the skills, you know, if they're in a comfortable environment, if it's one-on-one, like they have the skills to interact, to have that reciprocity, to have back and forth conversation. It's maybe when they're in a larger group, like in a classroom or on sports teams, extracurricular activities, when they're overwhelmed, we start to see more of that disengagement. So I think the underlying reasons of why a child with autism versus CDS may have these challenges, those underlying reasons may be different. I can't point to specific parts in the brain, but we can start to think about specific areas for intervention, like social skills training directly for CDS or managing that anxiety that comes with CDS may also be an important thing to focus on clinically. Um, what's the difference between maladaptive daydreaming disorder and CDS? Yeah, because I know, I believe that there was a, um, one of those researchers presented, I think, on the maladaptive daydreaming. Yes. Um, That is an area where, you know, to my understanding, you know, we talked about the internal distractions in CDS as involving this just over-engagement in thoughts of, this could be just the mind wandering, daydreaming, mind blanking, where some individuals with CDS, it's just like kind of they're, they're not having as many thoughts. Their mind just kind of blanks, which leads to the staring off. And my understanding with maladaptive daydreaming is the kind of the intensity and what the daydreams are are much more intense. So they're maybe spending a lot more time of maybe hours, you know, focusing on certain stories or fantasies or creating like certain characters that sometimes has like this reinforcing um, component to it, something that they're kind of seeking out. Again, I don't know as much of the maladaptive daydreaming, but to my understanding, it's more about the intensity um, that it's reinforcing. Where in CDS, yes, there's that proneness, but some of these kids are also saying that it's deliberate, but it's also spontaneous, that these thoughts just kind of appear, that they're internally distracted. And this might be due to just, they're thinking about random things. They're thinking about real things, made up things, past, present, future. So I think the scope and the context is a little bit different. But I would imagine, I mean, if I was conducting a study on that, I would imagine there's going to be some of that overlap. But I would just say maladaptive data seems to be much more narrow and specific. Where in CDS, we also have that behavioral component. We have that the sluggishness, the slow moving, the mental confusion that seems to be somewhat distinct from maladaptive daydream. Um, A few people have asked about um, any kind of uh, nutrition or supplement recommendations Mm -hmm. that might help with CDS. Yeah, I think if we just, I mean, I think if I take a step back and obviously I'm as a psychologist that I'm, you know, this is something obviously would work with, you know, your child's pediatrician or primary care on, but I just take a step back and think about what are the certain nutrition's diets that are going to help improve a child's attention and their energy and their motivation. So that's what I often talk about like in the context of ADHD, you know, having a having a well-balanced diet, having enough opportunity for exercise, ensuring sleep. Um, you know, there are I know with ADHD there have been some studies that some small effects for like, you know, omega-3 fatty acids in terms of maybe improving attention Maybe that might be something that would be helpful and in terms of increasing attention or energy levels. We don't have any type of studies that have looked at nutritional supplements. I would just encourage you know, everyone to think about if my child in general was struggling with the sleepiness, the tiredness, the daydreaminess, you know, we would really ideally optimize you know, their diet, having a well-balanced diet, having moderate levels of sugar intake having opportunity for exercise, physical activity, ensuring good sleep. So that would be my uh, response to that. But I am hopeful that we start to, as more of the intervention medication work starts to come out, that could do some trials on, you know, different supplements or nutritions to see, could those be a complementary approach to these other interventions? Well, unfortunately, we're out of time, and that has to be our last question. But Dr. Frederick, thank you so much for joining us today and for sharing your expertise with our ADHD community. We really appreciate that. Absolutely. It's a pleasure. These were unbelievable questions. I really appreciate it. <laughs> um, many of these questions that made me start to think, I'll be honest, of like, I, I want to learn more about these different ideas. So I really appreciate the opportunity. And as I said, you can learn more about our information online. And I'm available if anyone wants to, you know, if they have other questions, 
I'm happy to do the, my best in answering them. Well, thank you. And thank you so much to today's listeners. Make sure you don't miss future Attitude webinars, articles, or research updates by signing up to receive our free email newsletters at attitudemag.com slash newsletters. If you're listening in replay or podcast mode, visit attitudemag.com and search podcast 482 to access the webinar resources or simply click on the episode description wherever you stream your podcasts. If you support the work we're doing here at Attitude to strengthen the ADHD community, we encourage you to visit attitudemag.com slash subscribe and sign up for Attitude Magazine. Subscribe today for yourself or to share with a teacher or a loved one who could benefit from greater ADHD understanding. Thank you. Have a great day. For more Attitude podcasts and information on living well with attention deficit, visit attitudemag.com. That's A-D-D-I-T-U-D-E-M-A-G.com. Don't you love an extra $100 in your pocket? Have a TurboTax expert file your taxes for you by March 31st to get $100 back instantly. Because no matter what moves you made last year, TurboTax makes them count. That means getting $100 back and 100% accurate taxes only from Intuit TurboTax. Must file by 331. Credit only applicable to federal filing fees with TurboTax full service. Offer can be modified or terminated at any time. 